If you are new or newer with us, we've been in an ongoing series called Expectancy, and we've been taking time to journey verse by verse to the Gospel of Mark, and just taking our time, not in a rush, but just allowing God's Word to speak to us, being challenged and changed, and really believing to be transformed, and having, allowing the Holy Spirit to raise our level of expectancy with with what we believe that Jesus can do with a heart that's open and ready and available. And I should say this, as I'd mentioned this past Wednesday, we took time to assemble the Thanksgiving care packages to, that are going out to the families and pray over them. Typically for the expectancy series, um, I've contained it, we've contained it to Sunday mornings just to keep the majority of you in the loop and a part of the ongoing series. But this past Wednesday, I did share out of the previous verses, and that'll be posted on podcasts in the days ahead. So if you're trying to stay in the loop, you'll certainly, with each one, you'll want to, uh, to listen to that. And then I should say next week as well, um, I'm going to be continuing in the Mark series, but I'm going to have some of the other pastors join me as we together uh, just share tomorrow, uh, next week during one of our pastors' roundtables, which we'll do usually once or twice a year. But in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse number 22, I want to share with you a message I've called uh, Choosing to See. It really begins to look at a unique miracle that takes place with Jesus that I believe oftentimes leaves us with more questions than answers when we initially read it. So let's look at this together. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse number 22. It says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Let me just stop there for a moment. The story starts very similar to many of the other passages we've looked at. A group of people, they recognize Jesus is in town. They recognize he can be their answer. And they bring someone to Jesus who needs healing. And it says they come and they beg Jesus to heal the man. They, they beg Jesus to heal him. We've seen this before. People bringing a group and begging and pleading with Jesus to heal. And I should say this. It's not a matter of Jesus not being willing to heal the man or that he doesn't want to. But rather it shows the, the desire and the desperation of the people there care for this friend. Perhaps it's a family member, but their care for him. But then the second thing is, I believe it, and it's, in, it's crucial for us to see this, is that they saw Jesus as their answer. They saw Jesus as their answer. Now let's look, at, look on, beginning in verse number 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around, which would say that he had, it was a man who previously had been able to see or he would not have known what trees had looked like nor what people should look like. Verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. When I read this story, and specifically when we read through those last few verses, there's, for me, there's a number of questions that come to mind. Uh, this miracle that takes place with Jesus is unique. It's different than many of his other miracles. In fact, it's, it's a miracle that stands alone because of how it unfolded in this man's life. But oftentimes I read this story and I'm, I'm, I focus less on what it is that Jesus did and the miracle that he did and more on how he did it and trying to understand how he did it. Why did he pull the man aside? Why did he spit on the man? Um, why did it take Jesus twice to try to heal this man? Was it that he was not capable or able to heal this man the first time and that's why he had to try a second time? And this really is the only miracle that we see in Scripture where Jesus twice heals the same person with the same issue. When I look at this and I read it, I'm reading in, again in verse 23. It says, he took the, the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. 
When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Earlier, Jesus had an encounter in in Mark chapter 7, the last few verses of Mark 7. Jesus had an encounter with a very similar man. The man was not deaf, but in this case, the man was, was deaf and mute. Jesus pulls the man aside. Jesus spits on him and heals the man. And the people end that time, it says they're overwhelmed with amazement, and it says they, they say that he does all things well. But as you and I look at the story now, it would almost seem as if this stands contrary to that because the man was not healed the first time that Jesus had healed him. And this story, when I read it, when I read through it, it's, for me, it's a reminder to trust what God is doing as well as how he chooses to do it. Trust what God is doing as well as how he chooses to do it. Let me show you a few things in the story in verse 23. And verse 23 will just stay on the screen for a few moments for you to look at. It says, he took the blind man aside. He withdrew him from the crowd that was there. In fact, he didn't just take him aside from the crowd. He took him outside of the village. This is a reminder. We've seen this throughout the story that there's times where Jesus is healing. In Mark 7, there's a woman who comes to Jesus, and she has a daughter who's demon-possessed. And that whole story begins when it says Jesus is hidden away. Jesus has withdrawn, but yet there's this absolutely incredible miracle that takes place in this woman's life. It's life-changing. It's life-altering for her and for her daughter, and yet majority of the people didn't see it at all. And so I see, when we see the story says Jesus takes this man aside, it's a reminder to us, to you and to me, that whether or not we see God working, he is always working. Whether or not our eyes visibly see what's taking place, God is still faithful and he's still working. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean he's not working. Secondly, it says that Jesus says in verse 23, it says that he took the man aside and he spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on them. We talked about this as well a couple of weeks ago, a very similar story. We've already talked about it this morning where Jesus comes to a man who's, who's deaf and who's mute and Jesus spits on the man. Tradition in that day was that the, the saliva of a holy man was said to possibly have healing properties. And so Jesus is, is meeting this man on his level to communicate what's taking place. But I think it's a reminder as well that just because we don't always see or understand how God's working, he's still working. To trust him even when we don't understand. And then verse 23, again, is Jesus asks the man, do you see anything? But the miracle seems to be progressive. Jesus' question to the man, do you see anything? The man recognizes Jesus is healing him, but it's not an instantaneous one. It's not an instantaneous healing, but rather it's a specific step in this healing is a reminder to trust and value how God's working in our lives, not just in what it is that he's accomplishing. In fact, I can't help but realize this man had to take a step of faith to tell Jesus that he didn't quite see clearly yet that it demonstrates a a level of trust and honesty and vulnerability to share with Jesus that he hadn't fully seen the way that he would see. And we'll look at this in the weeks ahead, but this, this story really gives a backdrop to some of the upcoming conversations Jesus is going to have with his disciples on who they see, who they see him to be, as well as those around him. But it's continual reminder to trust and to recognize that God is still working even when we don't always see or understand how he chooses to work. And I think Jesus' question to this man, do you see anything in verse 23, is an incredible applica- gives incredible application into our lives today. Do you see anything? Do you see 
anything. And that really would apply not only to this Sunday before Thanksgiving, but I think it can apply to any and every day of our lives. That question that Jesus asks, do you see anything? Do you see what I'm doing? Do you see the work that I'm doing? Do you see the way that I'm working? See, I think oftentimes when it comes to Thanksgiving, specifically the week of Thanksgiving, most people will approach life in these next few days, again, specifically on Thanksgiving, and they'll begin to take stock of what's happened in their life over the last few months. Perhaps they'll take stock of what's happened the last semester, the last year, the last season, and they'll begin to inventory what's happened, what's not happened, and they'll choose something specific that's been done to be, great, to be thankful for, something specific to express gratitude for, and some may even direct it back to God, to be thankful to God for what he's done in the past year, the past season, the past semester. But we make, the individuals will make the link between gratitude to results, gratitude to what God has done or what has happened in their life. And I believe that for the follower of Christ, if you're here this morning and you've committed your life to Christ, the greatest measure of growth in our faith and in our walk with Christ can come by not mistakenly linking our gratitude with results, but choosing to link our gratitude with trust in God's faithfulness. Choosing to link your gratitude, expressing gratitude, and a posture of gratitude, and a posture of thanksgiving with choosing to see what God's doing, even when you don't see the visible results. It's a willingness to not link gratitude with results, but link gratitude with the, his faithfulness and his character and the way he consistently shows himself to be trustworthy. That trust and gratitude go hand in hand. It's when we choose to link our gratitude with, with his trust and trusting his faithfulness that we will be able to see in all seasons. We'll see the answer and the provision. We'll see the guidance is clear when it's seen. We'll see that the answer is progressive even when we don't see the results. We'll see that he is faithful even when the answers don't come in the timeline we think that it should. That it's choosing to link our gratitude with his faithfulness and trust in his character, even when the results are unseen. And it's from a heart and a posture of gratitude and thanksgiving that that thanksgiving can flow at all times. A heart that's postured and anchored in our Heavenly Father's nature, that thanksgiving and gratitude can flow. I've shared with you in recent weeks that how Psalm 103 has really challenged me. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, all my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It says to forget not all his benefits, that it's a reminder that he is faithful in every season, that if we just begin to look backwards, we can begin to link his past faithfulness with our current moment and our current life and your current challenges. That it's a choosing to see all the benefits of what he's done and how he's done it, regardless of, of the results being the way we may have wanted them. It's choosing to see. In fact, I'd said with Psalm 103, one of the ways that God really challenged me with that was that he says, forget not all its benefits, that I've recognized that when my, my posture, my mindset might be to be more grumbling or complaining or wondering what's happening or worrisome or anxious, that that's a reminder to me that I'm choosing to forget. I'm choosing to forget all his benefits rather than choosing to not forget all his benefits. It's choosing to see, recognizing that he continues to be faithful. And I believe that with a heart of gratitude, that I believe that I believe choosing to worship is a moment of choosing to see. It's choosing to see how God's been faithful, how he is faithful, how his, his, his character and his nature is trustworthy. 
That worship is a moment of choosing to see. It's choosing beyond the current moment, choosing beyond the current need, choosing beyond the current day, and choosing to see his faithfulness and his trustworthiness in all seasons and in all moments. It's making a choice to see at all times. And I've been reminded of this um, when it comes to different passages that I'll often use for prayer. I've shared with you before that I'll take note cards and I'll just write out different verses that I'll use as prayer points for my children, prayer points for my life. And some of them I have memorized, some of them I don't, but it just, it keeps my, my prayers focused when I'm praying, when I'm thinking. And I've shared with you that I can sometimes tuck one in my pocket and just having it there reminds me to be praying that verse or centering my, my mind on those promises of God. But one of the things that I've noticed is that some of the most comforting passages in Scripture, specifically some of the most comforting Psalms in Scripture, are from moments when the psalmist chose to see even when he couldn't see. He chose to see God's faithfulness even when he couldn't see the results. Listen, listen to just a couple of them. Psalms 32.7 says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. He says, you are my hiding place. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you're one I can run to. I thank you that you're one I can anchor my soul in. I thank you that you're one that is steadfast, that he protects you when you're in trouble. It's choosing to see even when the results can't be seen. Listen to another one, Psalms 59, 17. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. If you think about it, when and why do you need a fortress? When you need something to retreat into or someone to retreat into. He's choosing to see even when the results cannot be seen. And that doesn't just happen in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament as well. Listen to Psalm, or 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You need protection when you're under attack. It says that the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you. It's choosing to see even when the results may not necessarily be seen. And each one of these verses, and there's many more, really every scripture and psalm points to the trustworthiness and faithfulness of God and how he is faithful in all moments, even when the visible results may not be visible to our eyes. It's choosing to see. And I believe choosing to see also means and really has great application in my life and in your life is that choosing to see also includes choosing not to worry or fret or doubt or question the possibility of if God, God is aware of the circumstances you might be in. I want to take you to one more passage that we'll really spend the remaining portion of our time in this morning. That is in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 6. Again, keeping in mind that choosing to see also means choosing not to worry, fret, or doubt. It's keeping his, his character and his faithfulness and trustworthiness in who he is in front of us at all times. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Do not be anxious, or some translations might say, do not be worrisome, but do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And let's just pause there for a moment. It says, do not be anxious about anything. It doesn't just say don't be anxious, but he says don't be anxious about anything. And the word he uses is meaning just the smallest tiniest little thing. Don't be anxious about it. Don't let it worry you. Don't let it burden your heart down with worry and anxiety and, and doubt and, and fretting. It says, don't be anxious about anything. 
In fact, it says that, that to, instead of being anxious about anything, it says to present your needs, to present your requests and your petitions to God with thanksgiving. Did you realize that it is impossible to worry and pray at the same time? It is impossible to be anxious and prayerful at the same time. I think I can, you can easily make the, the transition and say it's, it's that, that worry does not thrive in an atmosphere of worship, and worship does not thrive in an atmosphere of worry. Because the scriptures tell us, as we've just looked in, Psalm, in Philippians 4, 6, he says to don't be anxious about anything, but rather when you present your needs and present your, your, your petitions to God to package them in thanksgiving, to package them in worship, to surround them in worship, to surround them with a heart that is grateful and thankful and anchored in the trustworthiness of our Heavenly Father. That it's impossible to worry and pray at the same time. If you're dealing with, with anxiety and worry and doubt and fretting this morning over matters in your life, Remember that worry does not thrive in an atmosphere of worship. So begin to align your heart and your mind and your mouth with his nature by expressing who he is. Sometimes what I'll do, what I've done is, is so I'll just find a room where I can get alone and I'll go to some of my favorite Psalms. I'll go to Psalm, like Psalm 18 and I'll just begin to, if I can't get my mind and my heart to align and remember and just recognize his faithfulness and his, his character in spite of what I might be facing in the day. I'll go and I'll go to and I'll and I'll turn to a psalm and a lot of times Psalm 18 is one of my my go-to psalms and I'll just go and I'll begin to align my heart and my mouth and my mind with his nature by taking it and beginning to read it out loud and making it my prayer. And I'll just begin to read. I'll take Psalm 18 and I'll say, I love you, Lord, my strength. I'll say, God, I thank you that you're my strength. And I'll begin to express it. So I thank you that you're my strength. I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that you are steadfast. I thank you that there's nothing that can disrupt the strength that you pour into my life by your nature, by your presence, by your Holy Spirit. It says, I love the, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. I say, God, I thank you that you're one that I can run to. I thank you that you're the one I can cast all my cares on. I thank you that you're one that there is nothing too big or too strong that overwhelms you, but that you continually overwhelm anything and everything that tries to disrupt my joy and my peace in who you are. But it's choosing to take his truth and allowing my heart and my mind and my mouth to align with him. That it's impossible to worry and pray or worry and worship at the same time. And it says the result, verse 7. Verse 7, it says the result. And the peace of God, which transcends or goes beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It says the result is the peace of God begins to guard your heart in your mind. And it says it's a peace that goes beyond comprehension, a peace that goes beyond understanding, a peace that goes beyond having any ability to understand it. But there's a, his peace, his presence begins to settle over your heart and your mind and the matters that are there. It says it's peace guards your heart, or some translations might say garrisons. It's like a fort, a fortress that you run to. But it says the peace of God guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think about this. It says, if, if I need the peace of God to guard my heart and my mind, then that would mean that my heart and my mind are liable to attack. Again, you don't guard something that's not going to be attacked or tried to, to be stolen. But he says that the peace of God guards my heart and my mind. 
And it, it reminds me that it doesn't matter what the enemy of our souls tries to do. He loves to disrupt your peace. He loves to disrupt your joy. He loves to disrupt your relationship with God. He loves to get you to not pray. He loves to get you to instead to, to worry, to fret, that he loves to disrupt everything that God is doing. But it says that the peace of God guards your hearts and minds so that he can't, that he doesn't gain access. And so as I begin to think about this passage and even its application in my own life, begin to realize and recognize what I believe is the enemy's greatest strategy, subtle but great strategy against most every believer. Because it says the peace of God guards your heart and mind so the enemy doesn't have access, but yet so many struggle with worry and anxiety and fret and doubt. So how does the enemy gain access? I believe that one of his greatest strategies is forgetfulness. It's forgetfulness, getting us to forget the faithfulness of God, to distract us from for, and forget his faithfulness, forget all the ways he's answered, forget to trust him. Because if he can get you to forget, then when you go back to your prayer, where it's meant to be prayer with thanksgiving, it's your prayers are encompassed in recognizing his faithfulness, recognizing who he is, recognizing all that he's done, that if he can get you to, for, to forget, he's able to get you to set aside the, the gratitude, to set aside the thanksgiving, to set aside the worship, and instead to insert the worry. So you come to God instead of with a, with a heart that's anchored in his faithfulness, anchored in who he is, anchored in all that he's done, that he gets you to come in forgetfulness in prayer. And in our prayer times, when we don't have worship or gratitude or thanksgiving, instead we have worry and fret and doubt. And before long, it begins to undermine the very faith and trust that we have in our heavenly father. And that is so crucial because Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is a, is a key ingredient in our prayers before God and coming before him. And so if we can come in, in forgetfulness, that we can come forgetting all he's done, we can come without thanksgiving and without gratitude and without, without worship, then we come with worry, we come with doubt, we come with questions, and it's disrupted the very position that we come before God in. Oftentimes, I've shared with you, I'll write on my note cards and I'll carry them, or I've, I've created a digital notepad and note thing on my, my phone so they can have them with me. But from time to time, uh, some of my, my children might be going through something. One of my daughters specifically was just going through a, a challenging season in the space. And what I've done in those moments is I'll take a card that I've been praying over them and just claiming them. And let me just say this to every parent here. The most influential position that God will ever give you in life is not as a CEO. It's not on the campus. It's not in a classroom. It's not in your business. It's in your home. It's in your home. That he gives you the most influential position is in your home as a parent. And in Deuteronomy 29, 29, God says regarding his word, he says, the secret, things, the, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. And I've always taken that promise to mean that God, his, he's revealed his word, that those promises, his promises, his word is intended for me. And he says it's intended for my children. And so my desire as a parent is to not leave one of God's revealed promises unclaimed over my children. And so there's times where they're going through something, and one of my daughters was going through something specifically, and so one of the verses that I had been praying over her is I, I took it out, and I, I kept it in my, my pile, but I, I wrote it out for her. 
And I gave it to her and I said, I want you to take this and take it with you and carry it with you through the day. And anytime there's the whisper of worry or doubt or questions or possibilities, you just pull this out and you begin to read it. And you begin to read it as God's promises over your life. And the promise of who he is, that he's faithful in every storm and every season, that he's faithful and he's steadfast. And there's no amount of worry or anxiety or doubt or fretting that can undermine his faithfulness. But it's to keep our hearts and our minds centered on him. But then I told her this. I said, I don't want you to just focus on those words because those words are very true. I want you to focus that it's written in my handwriting. I said, this card is not only scripture, but it's written in my handwriting. And when you see it in my handwriting, I want my handwriting to remind you that as your earthly father, that as perfect as I am, as imperfect as I am, I love you as best as I possibly can. So as imperfect, imperfect as I am, I love you as much as I possibly can. But the words that I've written in my handwriting are from a perfect heavenly father who loves you infinitely more who has your best interests at heart, who is absolutely trustworthy, who is absolutely reliable, and that used my handwriting to remind you of the one who spoke the words that are written on this card. To let those settle over your heart and your mind so that when you face a storm, when you face anxiety, when you face worry, when you face doubt, when you face not being able to see the answers, you can choose to see his faithfulness because of who he is. It's choosing to see, even when we don't necessarily see how it is that God may be working. In recent months, I have been reading a book called The Red Sea Rules that a dear friend of mine had recommended to me to read. It's written by Robert Morgan, and he focuses in this book on uh, primarily the Israelites and the lessons that of re- God's revealing and steadfast, steadfast faithfulness in the life of the Israelites and how they could learn to recognize his presence and how we can learn really to recognize his presence and his steadfastness in all moments and to really learn to trust him even in difficult seasons. And as I, as I recently concluded it and was reading through it, there's one part in, in his book where he gives four recommendations on ways to grow in recognizing God's continual presence with you. Four recommendations on ways to grow and how you can recognize God's continual presence with you. And so what I've done this morning is I'd like to end, I've taken those four and I've actually modified them a little bit. I've modified them to help us grow in seeing God's faithfulness and trustworthiness at all times. So how you and I can grow to have a heart and a posture of life that is looking to recognize God's faithfulness and trustworthy, trustworthiness at all times. So first, first one, affirm his faithfulness in your heart. Affirm his faithfulness in your heart. We've already discussed how the enemy loves to assault our minds, how he loves to undermine your worship by getting you to forget all that God's done and to ultimately assault your mind and allow worry and doubt and anxiety to gain access. So instead of giving your mind things to worry over, give your mind things to think about by affirming his faithfulness. Through a quick internet search, you can pull up a number of verses online and you can begin and just do an internet search on verses on God's faithfulness. And you can begin to get lists of verses. And I would encourage you to make note cards or to put them in your phone. And you don't necessarily have to feel like you need to memorize everyone. 
I believe the enemy loves to overwhelm individuals to feel like you now have to go memorize 10, 12, 15 verses to be able to have a position of victory. Just start thinking about them. Training your mind to think about them. That when you're anxious or worrisome, pull one out and begin to think about it. Begin to read it out. But affirm his faithfulness in your heart. That you can constantly remind yourself of the ways that God has been faithful. And the more we fill our minds with a reminder of his faithful ways, the more the natural position of our hearts and our minds will be to look for his faithfulness rather than what we're waiting and hoping to see happen. Secondly, visualize his faithfulness in your mind. So the first one is affirm his faithfulness in your heart. Secondly, visualize his faithfulness in your mind. Some individuals, when they pray, they'll talk about one of the ways that they will pray to keep their mind centered is they will visualize God's presence, perhaps sitting in a chair and they're praying and talking and having a conversation with him there. Or some will talk about they, they visualize that while they're praying, God comes and puts his arm around them so that they're just having this heart-to-heart conversation, that they'll visualize his presence there as they talk. And I think doing the same when it comes to, to remembering his faithfulness would be beneficial. That instead of worrying or fretting or wondering how a situation may resolve itself, begin to picture the possibilities of the way God's could, God could answer. Begin to picture the fact that God is working in ways he could be working even when we may not visibly see it. But it's begin to visualize his faithfulness in your mind. And that may mean by recounting the past ways that he has demonstrated his faithfulness. That I have found it is so easy that God can lead you through something and you'll come into a new space, a new season that might have some similar challenges, but are far smaller. And it's so easy for our minds to start thinking, well, how's this going to work? How's this going to turn out? What's going to happen? And if we just slow our hearts and our minds down and look backward, we can begin to connect his past faithfulness with our current moment. Begin to visualize his faithfulness in your mind. Number three, Access his faithfulness through prayer. Access his faithfulness through prayer. Deuteronomy 4, 7 says this about the Israelites and it says this about God. It says, what God draws near to, what, what country is so great, what nation is so great as to have their God draw near to them when they pray? It says that it's one of the greatest benefits is that when we pray, God actually draws near to us. In James 4.8, tell, telling believers, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That tells me that some believers live at different distances from God. Because he's telling believers to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That when we pray, the Bible tells us God draws near. It's much like a father having a, a small child or a mother having a small child. And in the, the, the busyness and the noise of life, maybe you're in the store, perhaps with, you're going out for Black Friday this coming Friday, and you're in the store, and there's the noise, and there's the chaos, and you've got your small child with you, and they're trying to say something to you. And so you, the moment they begin to say, you know, you, you're going to, there's all this stuff going, so you want them to realize that you're focused solely on them. And so you bend down, and you get close, or you get down on a knee, and you, you get at their level. Scripture says that when we pray, God draws near that he draws near. So learn to access his faithfulness through prayer. Recognize that he is drawing near to you when you come to him in prayer. Matthew 7, Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 7, 3. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. That God is a God who draws near. He's a God who answers. So access his faithfulness through prayer. 
I believe that a true heart of gratitude and thanksgiving has God as its center. And nothing more centers our heart than prayer. It centers it on God's presence and on his faithfulness. Number four, reflect his, his faithfulness in your demeanor. Reflect his faithfulness in your demeanor. There is never a moment or a time or a place in your life that God has not been nor will be faithful, nor will not be faithful. So choose to live like it. Let your demeanor reflect his faithfulness. You may not have the answer, but you can know that he's faithful. Let your demeanor reflect it. To be intentional, to live in a way that reflects that he is faithful in any and every season. And do you realize what testimony that gives to those around us in our lives? That we may not have the answer and they're looking in, wondering how you may handle a matter or a situation. And they recognize that the peace of God is guarding your heart because your heart is anchored in his faithfulness and not the answer that may or may not be coming. That is choosing to reflect his faithfulness in your demeanor. A book uh, that a friend gave me a number of years ago. Uh, it's called Ruthless Trust by Brennan Manning. And I've, a, number, a few years ago, I shared a quote or two out of this with you. But in this, he, he writes on the inclusiveness of gratitude. And he says, a life of trust finds reason to thank God, to thank God in every season and chooses to thank God in all things. And I wanted to read to you just this quote that he says about gratitude. It says, to be grateful for all things that happen in our lives is easy. But to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are, we are only grateful people when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to this present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget— we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift from God to be grateful for. Let us not be afraid to look at everything that has brought us to where we're at now and trust that we will soon see, in, see it in the guiding hand of a loving God. It's choosing to see and let every part of life remind you that he has been and will continue to be faithful in all things and in all seasons and in all moments, even when we can't visibly see or understand or know. I think Jesus' question in, in Mark eight twenty three that he puts to this man, he says, do you see anything? That's a question that I believe he's asking many individuals this morning. Do you see anything? And if we, like this man, choose to keep our center, the, our focus upon Jesus, then I believe the summary of this moment, the summary of what you may be facing can be much like the summary was for this man. Verse 25 ends by saying, he saw everything clearly. Do you see anything? But that's the question that God would ask each of us this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand.